Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone, and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects, and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back, with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition 
of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, I'll check in with Chris Elliott, founder of Elliott Confidential, for an update on the pilot shortage and flight cancellations. And the numbers are pretty bad. But how long will it take to get back on track? Christopher will walk us through those numbers. Then Zach Griff, reporter for The Points Guy, explains why there are so many parked airplanes around the world. And finally, legendary writer Pico Iyer elaborates on why we travel in the first place, or in the summer of 2022, why we attempt to travel. First up, Christopher Elliott. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. Hello, Christopher. Hello, bonjour. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm okay. But, you know, as we take a look at what's going on around the world, and you happen to be overseas as well, I'll just start with Europe. I mean, the situation at the Dublin, Dublin airport is ridiculous. The situation at Heathrow and Gatwick, they're asking to be cutting at least 1,000 flights a day there. The situation in Copenhagen is being described as intolerable at their airport. The most interesting story, of course, to me, was what's going on at Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam. Uh, at one point, they just tried to have a rule limiting the number of people that could actually be in the terminal at any one time. That really wasn't going to solve anything. So they went one step further. The government of the Netherlands is now told airlines they can no longer sell tickets there or from there between now and the end of this month. That's almost unthinkable, certainly unprecedented in the middle of a high summer season. So that's what's going on in Europe right now. Let's talk about what happened in the U.S. Last weekend, we had thousands of delays, many, many cancellations. Uh, JetBlue was canceling uh, not even canceling, they were they were delaying about nearly 43% of their schedule. Southwest at 33%. United and American, 30% of their flights were delayed. Uh, and then we had the cancellations. Leading that was Delta, followed in close order by American, with no sign whatsoever of it getting better. So what's your take on this? Well, you know, the interesting thing is uh, I had a lot of readers of Elliott Confidential asking me who the worst airlines were. And so I ran some numbers like you just did. And I went all the way back to Memorial Day. And it turns out that the worst airline for cancellations is American Airlines. They lead by far with more than 3% of their entire schedule canceled. But when it comes to delays, can you guess who the worst airline is? Well, I would guess it's either JetBlue or Southwest. Southwest it is, yes. Southwest has the most cancel, uh, uh, delays, but the interesting thing about that is that their delays were only half what the average was. So they're about 30 minutes delayed on average versus closer to an hour for the legacy carriers. I just thought this was fascinating. And there are so many moving parts to this equation. Why are we getting all these delays and cancellations? We could probably talk for the entire broadcast about it. Suffice to say, it's going to get worse. Uh, I talked to some friends of mine over at Aerology, one of my fellow Substack bloggers, and they said the second week in August is going to probably be the worst for cancellations and delays. So you ain't seen nothing yet. And why did they pick the second week in August? Uh, again, it's a complicated answer. They have an algorithm that figures all that out, but basically it has to do with capacity and demand. Not, there's too many passengers and not enough airports. 
And of course, you know, we talk about who's the blame game here. Uh, the CEO of Delta Airlines blaming the FAA for air traffic control problems and staffing issues. The FAA is saying, no, it's airline pilot shortages, not to mention people who work below the wing. My guess is they're all right. They're all, they're all correct. And, and, it's, and then we haven't even thrown weather into the mix. The only thing that saved a lot of people this past holiday weekend was weather was not that much of a factor for a change. And you know what? July 1st is the worst day for thunderstorms of the entire year. And we just got really lucky. So you just, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, when I hear airlines talking about the reasons for these delays and cancellations, I think to myself, so what? It doesn't, doesn't matter to passengers. They just want to get to wherever they're going. What doesn't matter to them is the $81 billion in federal bailout money that the airlines took from taxpayers. And now we got this. Exactly. And it's not as if they didn't see this coming. You know, when they when they offered those early buyouts and retirement packages to pilots and other senior uh, employees, they thought maybe maybe three percent would take them. A whole lot more did. And then there was no planning. They had no idea that you know, travel was going to come raging back. But we're not talking about this year. Here's the crazy part, Christopher. We're talking about May and June of 2021 when it came raging back and they weren't prepared even then. It kind of makes you wonder when will they be prepared? And I'm thinking that the holiday travel season is, might even be worse than what we're seeing now. And it's not going to get straightened out for a while. And the reason why is pilot is not an entry level job. You can't go on the street and go, Hey, anyone know how to fly a plane here? Just doesn't work that way. So we're talking about years of finding and training new pilots, new crews. This is, this is going to be with us for a while. And unless you're doing a scene from the movie airplane, I can't fly the plane. Uh, we, have a, we, we have a problem. It's not going to get solved anytime soon. And the real problems are going to happen in secondary and tertiary airports in the United States. It's already started because you have airlines like American parking 100 of their fleet, which is about 8% of their entire fleet. Uh, and the reason? They don't have the pilots to fly the planes. But which planes were they parking? They were parking those 50-seat regional jets that go to those secondary and tertiary airports that feed their hubs. So what was the next step? Pulling out of those markets entirely. So Americans no longer are going to be flying to Toledo starting Labor Day or Ithaca, New York or Dubuque, Iowa or Islipad on Long Island and other airlines are following suit. So the people who live in those cities are going to be disenfranchised and at the very least are going to have to drive 50 to 100 miles to the nearest airport where the airfares are almost inevitably going to be higher. Well said. It should be illegal to schedule flights that you know that you can't operate and that's really exactly what the airlines did. They should have known better. They had a plenty of warning and they should have known. They did it anyway. What and there's got to be a, there should be a law against that. Well, you know what? There are some legislators who are proposing that, but of course, in the era of deregulation, that's easier said than done. I think the answer is going to lie mm -hmm. with the U.S. Department of Transportation and rulemaking, like they did the tarmac delay rule. The airlines fought against it, but guess what? It worked. And now we have to get to the next level of financial consequences for publishing, uh, publicizing and, and, and uh, announcing an airline schedule that you cannot justify that you can support it. Plus, I think one more wrinkle here, uh, and that is a new scale of compensation for passengers on flights that have either been delayed or canceled, because right now you have a lot of people sleeping in airports. Absolutely. And our, our uh, 
the cancel the, the uh, uh, compensation that we get is hails in comparison to what you would get in Europe under EC two sixty one, which is the uh, European exactly. Consumer Protection Rule. Exactly. We need something like EC two sixty one in the U.S. My thanks to Christopher. Airlines are parking more airplanes than ever these days, and Zach Griff from the Points Guy found out where and why. Zach Griff, how are you, man? Hey, Peter, great to hear from you, and uh, always great to chat. Uh, I, although I definitely prefer to, to be chatting uh, next to you on uh, on an aircraft somewhere. Although if we were doing that, we'd be chatting a whole lot longer because chances are we'd be sitting on the tarmac. We're seeing thousands of cancellations, thousands of delays. It's, uh, it's the middle of summer right now, uh, but this has been going on literally since May of 2021. It's It doesn't seem to be getting any better. I'll give you the trajectory as I see it. You know, first the airlines tried to do some preemptive cancellations. Didn't work. Then they started canceling routes for the summer. That, you know, didn't work either. And now some airlines are literally announcing, guess what? We're parking planes and we're we're stopping service entirely at some cities. We've seen American do that to a number of cities. United's done it. Delta's done it. Uh, and it's not because there's lack of demand. Right, the folks in in Toledo, Ohio, and Ithaca, New York, and Dubuque, Iowa, and especially out on Islip, Long Island, they want to fly, and they have been flying. So, this is all sort of counterintuitive of cutting routes at the height of summer, which of course you never would do unless it's totally desperate, and then ending service at the height of summer, which nobody ever does either. So, okay, I think it's like crazy time. What's your take on it? No, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think it. I think it really goes back to you know thinking about where our issues came from in the air industry. You know, in this industry at the start of the pandemic, right? So the airlines went ahead and they went out and retired a ton of planes. They parked their fleet and they laid off, or you know, a bunch of people took uh, it, it, you know uh, bailout packages and whatnot. The airlines took them and, and you know employees, you know, they they took early outs and, and, and left, and so. They did that. Now, basically, two years later, we are basically back to 2019 in terms of demand, in terms of number of people, number of flights that are out there, certainly domestically. Uh, but we just the the uh, infrastructure is just not there right now to support uh, the airlines. Say it is, but we've seen week after week with the thousands of cancellations, and it was never like this before. Um, you know, it's a crazy stat since since the start of the pandemic. Uh, at least 50 airports have, have have lost service across the nation from our uh, from from big you know mainline carriers like your Deltas, your United, your Americans of the world. Uh, they're they're primarily, as you mentioned, these smaller regional cities. Uh, the airlines are struggling to uh, find pilots to fly these flights. Uh, they don't have you know there's this nationwide pilot shortage in the first cities. Blue service is typically these smaller regional ones that are served by, you know, affiliate airlines, express uh, operations. And, and, and it's really especially tough for cities that, that are losing losing air service entirely. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's really airmen out there. And I got to tell you, um, in a couple of days, I'm going to be flying, or at least I'll take this back. In a couple of days, I'll be attempting to fly from uh, Washington, D.C. to Bangor, Maine. It's listed as a nonstop. They have two a day. And I'm actually convinced I'm not leaving. I'm going to go to the airport and make believe I'm leaving. But this is on one of those, you know, 50-seat RJs, regional jets, that the airlines are, are continuing to park. And, and I don't have a plan B. Yeah, well, I mean, 
I, I really think nowadays, first of all, you know, pack your patience. There's no question if you're going to the airport, you know, not just pack your patience, but also, you know, bring a plan B. Think about, it. you know, whether maybe for you, Peter, whether, whether that means you know, connecting in Charlotte or even having to stop in New York or something. Obviously, that, that, that's not ideal. You book a nonstop flight. But if you got to be somewhere these days, you really have to show up you know, with an A, a B, and maybe even a C, especially if, you know, the weather isn't looking good or, or you know, the, the, the flight operations in, in, the, in the days or two leading up to your flight haven't been on time and, you know, there have been a bunch of cancellations. We've seen this domino effect repeat week after week where there's maybe a snowstorm. It was in the winter. Now it's summer thunderstorms happening now, whether it's in the northeast or in the southeast or, you know, in Texas or whatnot. But all it seemingly takes at this point is one small thing somewhere in an airline's network to have a cascade effect across the entire operation. It means that crews are out of place, aircraft aren't where they're supposed to be. And the airlines used to be much more nimble before the pandemic and getting things restarted, basically. But but, but we've seen they just can't restart and and, and get back on their feet again. Zach, I saw a story that you put out the other day that uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, who's been on our show a lot, is actually pushing for an airline passenger's bill of rights that would, as you reported, among other things, require airlines to cover passengers' meals and lodging costs if they're delayed more than four hours. My experience in, in covering these sorts of bills is that in the age of deregulation, which, by the way, I don't want to feel too old, goes back to the 19th. 78, the airlines will just march right into federal court and say the states don't have any jurisdiction and neither does the federal government and it gets and, and the and the court basically supports the airlines based on the Airline Deregulation Act of, of uh, 1978. So does this bill even have a chance? You know, we've been talking about this for years. It's been something, you know, comes up every time there's some big type of disruption, whether it's a big snowstorm or whatnot. You see all the headlines. And it gains steam for a few days. And then it really fizzles out. And, and a lot of it just comes down to just thinking about kind of the news cycle around this stuff. People have to get places. The airlines know that. And so when whether it's a meal voucher or a hotel stay or whatnot, it, they, they don't necessarily want to make it easy because, of course, they're going to have to put the bill if they, if they start giving it out. And, you know, they'll say that that'll lead to higher fares and, and all the things that, 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 that they warn uh, would happen. But, you know, whether whether something like that would actually pass or come to fruition, you know, that's probably a long shot. That's not to say, however, that there are benefits, you know, kind of enshrined passenger rights. One of them I actually love to report about it. A lot of people don't know this is that if your flight is actually delayed or canceled by the airline, you have a, a, a right by the United States Department of Transportation to a refund. That's not a voucher. That's not a future travel credit. That is a money back to your credit card. And one of the reasons why, especially this summer, that rule is so important is that if you are delayed or if you do face a cancellation with, you know, Delta or American United, whichever airline you're flying with, you can go ahead, collect your money and go and rebook on an airline that's, you know, maybe operating on time or, or has a better flight time or something for you. And so, you know, you may not, you know, be able to be guaranteed that voucher, that that hotel or whatnot. But by being guaranteed a refund, you can go ahead and take matters into your own hands if things go wrong. You're right. And of course, this happened during the pandemic where airlines were not exactly volunteering this rule. They were trying to steer people to vouchers or credits, which then expired. We've, we've you know, the, the, the biggest source of passenger complaints over the last two years, I should, I take it back, two and a half years, has been their inability to get refunds on flights that were canceled through no fault of their own. The U.S. Department of Transportation has 
done some enforcement action. They went after Air Canada for refusing to abide by the rule. They they proposed a fine of $25 million. That was negotiated down to just $2 million. But the good news is, is that Air Canada started writing refund checks. I really defer to the U.S. Department of Transportation in this case, too, about a passenger bill of rights. I'm hoping that Secretary Buttigieg does some new rulemaking in terms of airline hiring, in terms of airline training, and in terms of airline transparency in scheduling. Zach, I saw a story the other day where the airline said, we need to hire more people in, in, in customer service. And I said, actually, no. All you're doing is hiring more people to apologize. That's not going to solve the problem. you got to hire people who can actually operate the planes and support an unrealistic schedule that you've had for quite some time. That's what we're really dealing with. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, the feds have called meetings with the CEOs, and they've really kind of reiterated You've got to get your act together. And the airlines say they're doing it. As we've seen time and again, they keep these cancellations and delays keep coming. If you're traveling this summer, you've got to pack your patience. you got to think back to having a plan B and know that always if something goes wrong with your flight, you're entitled to it. And by the way, even Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg had to have a plan B because right after he had that come to Jesus meeting with the airline CEOs and told them, you got to stress test your schedules, you got to get your act together, you can't overschedule your airline, he left his office, went to Washington Reagan for his flight from, from D.C. to New York. And they canceled his flight. Uh, his plan B was stay in the car and drive. Which, by the way, on the Washington and New York route might actually always be a better idea. But that's another issue that even predates the pandemic. But you know what, Zach? You're right. People do need a plan B, C, and D. I'm on F and G, by the way. Uh, simply because I see what's going on with scheduling. The scheduling guys are still not talking to the operations guys. And they realize, the scheduling guys, go, oh my God, look at all this demand. we got to put flights on. And so they do, but there's nobody to operate them. And uh, you, and then you throw in one weather incident and the system melts down. We've seen that happen time and time again. Yeah, and, you know, as, as I think about how we go through and how, how, how the airlines improve and, and take learnings from the summer, I really hope, as you mentioned, that, you know, the integration between scheduling, networking, route planning, you know, everyone in the airline needs to be solely focused on can we operate this flight. And the realities are different now. As we ta- talked about, you know, th- with regards to less staffing, with regards to you know more weather systems that are popping up, even the playbook from 2019, which you know the airlines are so quick to go back to, it's such a great time for them. They're making so much money. We're in a different state of the industry right now. It's been three years, and, and we just have to start living with this new normal, like you know, the rest of the country has done with regards to all the other things, you know, You're pandemic right. restrictions and whatnot. You're the right. airlines need to just recognize that. My thanks to Zach. I've always said that we don't travel because we want to travel. We actually travel because we need to travel. It's part of our cultural DNA. Writer Pico Iyer has some thoughts on why we continue to travel in spite of all the obstacles. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. 
Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Pico, welcome back. Peter, it's great to talk to you again. You know, anytime I think of thoughtful travel, my uh, my thoughts turn to you because you're not just going to check off a box on some bucket list. You're going to immerse yourself. You're going to think. You're going to learn. And out of that comes so many of your books, but out of that also comes so many revelations about the nature of travel or perhaps even the definition of it these days. So I guess I have to ask you, where have you been traveling lately, especially in this post-pandemic world? Well, I was in Zanzibar uh, in the first week of March, uh, a place I dreamed of as a little boy but never could be confident I would see in person. I sailed across the Indian Ocean to the Seychelles. And um, also, I've just throughout the pandemic, I was actually going back and forth across the Pacific between my mother's house here in California and Japan, uh, where my family is. But you're absolutely right. When you were talking about how I, I love to travel, I often think of two things. First, our generation is the first in human history where we can easily talk to somebody across the world. And you and I could, if we save the money, can be in Tibet or Tierra del Fuego tomorrow. And secondly, I think we all know, even during the pandemic, we're in this global neighborhood. So we need to know the neighbors. And, and many of our neighbors across the world can't visit us. So I think it's up to us in a relatively prosperous place like the U.S. to go and see them and initiate the conversation. You know, you mentioned Zanzibar. I have always fantasized about Zanzibar since I remember the original Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movie, The Road to Zanzibar with Dorothy Lamour. And of course, that was a exactly. comedy. But 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 the word Zanzibar. I, I'll tell you, the very first time I heard of Zanzibar, uh, my father, who was a doctor, had a patient. His name was Mister Bentheim. And in 1929, talk about luck. I wouldn't call it foresight. Pretty much luck. He took every dime he owned and invested in a small company called International Business Machines, otherwise known as IBM. And by the time I was about six or seven years old, this man, Mister Bentheim had made so much money just on his dividends from the stock that he moved full-time to an ocean liner called the Franconia. It's one of the, the, the Cunard ships. And all he did was sail around the world 180 days one year, 180 days the next six months. And once a year, he would come into New York City, and my father, who was his doctor, would take me down to the harbor so he could perform his examination on Mr. Bentheim. And every time I went there, Mr. Bentheim would give me the stamps he collected for me on his travels around the world. And of course, that's when I first learned about Zanzibar. It was such a romantic name, such a romantic notion. And then I finally got a chance to go last year. And I have to tell you, I was not disappointed. And I'm sure you weren't either. No, I agree with you. Such a romantic name. I remember as a little kid, I thought, if they allow proper names in Scrabble, Zanzibar is the word I'm going to use to get all those triple triple word scores. And yeah, I mean, just as you found, it's only, I think, 20 miles off the coast of East Africa, but it's completely its own world. And one of the things I enjoyed was, as you saw, I'm sure, when you're walking down the old path, you see a face and you really can't tell if she's African or Arabian or Indian or Persian, because it's this wonderful confluence for a thousand years of all these different cultures. So not like anywhere else I'm ever going to see, I think. And, you know, when you take a look at the history of Zanzibar and who came, you just mentioned the Arabs, the Portuguese, the uh, the British came at one point, the Germans were there. Um, and, of course, 20 miles away, and it wasn't called Tanzania, it was called Tanganyika. The Germans had it for a while, the British had it for a while. And in Zanzibar, the Omanis had it. 
Um, and finally, uh, they were able to get their independence, and they merged with Tanganyika, and that's when they formed the, the merger between Zanzibar and Tanganyika, which is now known as Tanzania. Yep, I remember as a little kid, just so excitedly collecting those Tanganyika stamps. And then, as you say, in I think 1963 or four, suddenly Tanganyika um, didn't exist anymore. And also, I like what you just said, because you know sometimes people worry that if Peter or Pico goes to a remote place like Zanzibar, maybe we're spoiling it or disrupting it. And as you said, they've been taking in people from every corner of the globe for a thousand years. They know just how to deal with us, and I think they're very happy to see us. And here's a fun fact. You know, when you think of Zanzibar, the one name that you never think about, but he was born there, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I, I saw the house in which he was born. It was very, very crowded. And I'm so glad you also mentioned the road to Zanzibar because I checked out that Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movie. And I saw that they'd sort of taken some liberties. I think in the film <laughs> there are safaris and leopards and all kinds of things you don't actually see in Zanzibar. But they just knew that the magic of that name would draw anyone to it. It's so interesting just to think that I think Freddie Mercury grew up there. He went to boarding school in India, and then he came back there. But when we think of him, we think that he's a Parsi, or he's from Bombay, or, or he's from England, maybe. And people forget he's one of Zanzibar's greatest products. And actually, just before you went there, or maybe just after you went there, a year ago, a man from Zanzibar won the Nobel Prize for Literature. So there's a lot going on in that small place. Yep. And, and of course, you want to walk the streets of Stonetown. It was not made for automobiles. And uh, just look down and then look up. You're going to see architecture you've never seen before. The doorways alone in Zanzibar, it's an interior or exterior designer's dream. It's, it's, uh, it's, you just stand in front of doors and stare at them. It's, it's, it's that powerful. Yes. And, you know, I'm sitting here in California, land of the multi-lane freeway. And I love going to those old places. You can find them every corner of the world, which are all narrow, intimate alleyways full of secrets and full of you know, everything that's behind those famous doors. Um, you, 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 you get drawn into a place like that the way you don't if you're <laughs> driving along the 101 heading into Los Angeles. <laughs> you said driving. That's assuming a lot. You're sitting. But let, we'll, get, we'll move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now you mentioned... Hours on end. Hours on end. So you mentioned sailing then the Indian Ocean, which most people never get a chance to do. And, and I, I have to say, yeah. I have to say, when, when I come back with my pictures that I've taken at the Indian Ocean, the first thing people say to me is, what kind of filter did you use to get those colors? And you have to explain to them, no filter. It actually looks like that. I was just going to say, that's the single most distinctive thing, this amazing blue and green and blue-green that's shifting through the day. Um, yeah, quite, quite extraordinary. And, you know, I'm so glad that you were going to Zanzibar last year and I was going um, this March because you remember how two years ago uh, when the pandemic began, everyone said this is the end of travel. And I remember how in 1991 people were saying it's the end of history and after September 11th, this is the end of irony. And I think it should be the end of predictions because people were <laughs> pronouncing the end of travel, but you were traveling and I was traveling and the world was just as beautiful as it always has been. I'm looking for some sensibility here. I'm looking for some perspective because it is a mad, mad world out there. Flight cancellations, flight delays, airfares quadrupling, people unable to use their mileage. Hotels that are getting higher rates than they got in 2019, but providing 50% of the service. And everything's full. So for someone like you who travels 
I would almost say for a living, like, like I do, or at least for a purpose, where do you find an out? Where do you go? Uh, well, I, I, as you say, the frustrations are, are intense. Uh, just two weeks ago, I was flying from Memphis to Santa Barbara, just two two-hour flights, and it took me 27 hours. And as you say, the, the airports uh, are so crowded now that when I go to my local airport here in Santa Barbara, five in the morning, there's a line snaking out into the street at the security machines. But I just think of what the waiting means at the other end. I mean, a few days after we speak, I'm going to be flying to Aspen. I'll come back here for a day, and then I'm going to follow you and fly to, to Europe. And I'm not expecting the flight to be comfortable. And as you say, things aren't as inexpensive as I would like. But I'm about to go to Amsterdam for the first time since I was 18 years old, which is a long, long time ago. I'm going to go to Paris. You know, what's not, not to like? It's, prices are more expensive than they were. But when I think of how prices were in the 1970s, and you know this better than anyone, Peter, um, airplane prices have risen much less than food prices or house prices or anything else. I still think that flying is a bargain. Oh, relatively Look speaking? Look at gas prices. I, I would rather yeah. be in a plane than a, a gas if, uh, in, in, than in a car if I'm thinking about my budget. Oh, listen, I couldn't agree with you more. When you start amortizing it, uh, and and relating it to what it cost in you know fifty years ago, you couldn't be you couldn't be more correct. But of course, everything's relative, and uh, you've got to figure out you know you've got to figure out what your priorities are. What we're seeing, uh, and the, and the current you know surveys are supporting it, is that people are not going to be denied. They're going to travel, but what they are going to do is cut back on other retail purchases. They're not going to buy a new set of clothing or a new or a new car, or they may not go out to another expensive dinner as much as they used to, but they're going to travel the summer of 2022. Well, I'm glad if that suggests that curiosity is more important than consumption and that people want to look around the corner and learn about other places, I'm really delighted. And of course, there's a great domestic travel here in the United States, but um, no, I'm very heartened by, by what what you just said. Uh, because I think, you know, the two years of the pandemic, among other things, were two years of working up our bucket list. You know, I think people now, when finally we get to travel freely again, have a huge list of places they've been longing to see. Um, sometimes for cultural reasons, sometimes just to see old friends or family, um, sometimes for work reasons. But uh, it's no surprise that the skies are very crowded right now. Well, beware the law of unintended consequences. I mean, during the pandemic, we were almost forced to rediscover our own neighborhoods, our own communities, our own cities, our own states. That's still going on. Look at Asheville. Asheville got rediscovered big time in the last two years. And, and it, it's a wonderful destination with great history and built-in social distancing. It's not, you know, you're not choking here in Asheville. And that's just one of a number of communities that might have been overlooked because people were flying longer distances. I love that. So during the pandemic, I came back here to Santa Barbara from Japan to be with my mother. And because I couldn't travel very far and I didn't feel comfortable in the health club, I just got to taking a walk along the road on which my mother's house sits. And I would turn around and I'd see the mountains on one side and the Pacific Ocean gleaming in the other. And just as you said, I would think this is as beautiful as somewhere I'd fly across the world to see in Capri or Rio de Janeiro. It's literally in my backyard, and my parents have been in this house more than 50 years, but I've never walked to the end of the road 20 minutes away until the pandemic. So, yeah, I think you know, it reminded me that travel is just a matter of opening your eyes, and there are extraordinary things to be seen down the road if, if your eyes are open. But that never diminishes 
the extraordinary things to be seen across the world <laughs> in Zanzibar and everywhere else. And one of your books is called The Art of Stillness, which is a different way to approach travel entirely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a based on it was a book I wrote for the TED, and then I gave a talk for TED, and it turned out to be good preparation for the pandemic. And I think my basic feeling was that when you or I take a trip, we really enjoy taking in new sights and sounds and smells and people. But in some ways, the trip enters its chapter two when we get back home and you're in Asheville, I'm in Santa Barbara, and we start processing everything that we've just experienced. And that in some ways, it's only when you're sitting still that you can really be moved. You know, I, I gasp when I see the Taj Mahal, but then I deepen that gasp when I come back home and I sit at my desk and I remember everything that I've, I've experienced. So I do think that stillness is the second perhaps forgotten part of any trip. And, and for most people, you take a two-week holiday and then you spend two months or two years thinking about it back home. So what you do in those two months and two years with what you've seen becomes really important. And I think most of us come back from our trips, not just with keychains and postcards, but but with memories. And You're right. what are you going to bring back that really changes you? I think that's a question I always ask myself. My thanks to Pico, to Zach Griff, and to Christopher Elliott. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know exactly what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.